live. All right, we're live. We're talking about you know lessons learned from the G7 summit. Uh, I think things went well. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> Welcome to Disrupt TV. We're <laughs> we're going to be talking about some really interesting topics. We've got two amazing people here, and uh, we'll 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 talk about what's happening. Um, you know, Sabrina, just start talk, talk about what you're talking about today and uh, what's hot, and then uh, we'll go to Ben and uh, tell us where you're calling from as well. So, Sabrina, where are you calling in from? Yeah, well, I'm uh, coming to you from the beautiful North Shore of Long Island, New York. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I'm here to talk about what is probably the worst piece of business advice ever and uh, how to avoid getting sucked into that trap. Got awesome. it. And this is going to be awesome. And it's an yeah. awesome book. We'll get some preview on there. Ben, I think you're not too far away. Where are you calling in from? What are we talking about today? So. Yes, I'm in uh, Manhattan, uh, down in the financial district. Um, and yeah, I think we're going to touch on the this return to office. We can't call it to return to work because everyone's been working. It's a return to office and there's some really interesting CIO challenges uh, coming up. All right. Well, hey, everybody, I'm live here from Frisco, Texas. If you guys know where that is, we'll be seeing you guys shortly soon. Uh, but more importantly, we're going to start the show and uh, do the honors. All yours, Hannah. Ready, go. Let's do this. Hello right. and uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter uh, at Disrupt TV Show. Send questions uh, to Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests, and we'll do our best to answer them live. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of disrupting digital business, but breaking news, not so breaking, because I've been talking about it on Twitter quite a bit, his new book that you could pre-order now, and it's uh, coming out officially next month, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a World of Digital Giants. We're gonna spend the last 20 minutes of this show to talk about this incredible book. Ray is also a regular contributor on television, business, and technology news. You can find him on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, Wall Street Journal, and Cheddar. In my humble opinion, he's one of the top features to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. And I'm here with my awesome co-host. Everybody knows him, Vala Asher, our Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce. But more importantly, when he's not talking at large conferences, talking, you know, in design thinking sessions, and of course, you know, guiding people along the way, um, he's also the author of Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. And of course, more importantly, he's hosting, keynoting, leading events at Salesforce. He's on TV. And of course, you can see him posting insightful analyses on ZDNet and of course, from this show. So, But it's not about us. It's about our awesome guests. And we've got two awesome guests this week. Who do we kick it off with? It's a privilege for you and I, Ray, because we have a big thinking, big doing CIO on our show. Ben Haynes, uh, CIO advisor at the Lincoln Center for Performing Arts. A transformational business leader, I've known Ben for years. Uh, ben is focused on building world-class leadership teams, liberating companies from legacy world of unproductive enterprise technology. As a CIO of Verizon Media, Ben led the massive undertaking of combining and improving Yahoo and AOL's IT infrastructure. Ben's uh, multiple teams around the globe are responsible for all Verizon Media end user productivity, systems and applications, ensuring they're addressing critical business needs. Ben has held CIO roles at Box, at a company where it was 100% cloud-based IT, 
when I first met Ben, he was CIO at Pabst Brewery, where he transformed the traditional IT infrastructure and application environment into a service-oriented organization delivering business value. He's an award-winning CIO based on the work he's done at Pabst, Box, and Verizon Media. Uh, ben has also held global leadership roles over a nine-year period, Red Bull leading teams across Asia, Pacific, Europe, and Americas. He's a great follow if you want to keep up to date with latest technology transformation IT trends on Twitter at Behanes0, B-H-A-I-N-E-S-0. Welcome, Ben, to Disrupt TV. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Doing great. <laughs> doing great. <laughs> I, I can never, I never get used to those introductions. <laughs> I had to cut your bio down. We only have 20 minutes and you've done yeah. a lot. So yeah, thanks. <laughs> no, it's awesome having you back, Ben. And I think one of the big topics we're talking about today is really what's going to happen when we return a different form of physical space. Uh, I think that's how yeah. you're going to put it. So, so what is happening right now? Like where's the sentiment? What are CIOs being you know, preparing for? What do organizations think? You know, what's going to happen? Like, are we all going to get back to work like it used to? to be or are we going to be at home like it was like you know 14 months ago yes <laughs> and, I, and i think that's the trouble because it, it is really all over the place um what i'm seeing and um just in new york yesterday i think it was uh jp morgan chase ceo <laughs> was like everyone's back to the office if you can go to a restaurant you can come to the office and if you want New York wages, you'll work in New York. And so you've got that end of the spectrum. And then I think that Salesforce and a few other companies are like, okay, where do you want to work? And it's 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 fascinating from that battle for talent. And, and there's this new dimension now that um, some companies are digging in and want to go back to the old way and some are, are rethinking it. I'm hearing um some of the practicalities from the cio perspective of, of working in these environments because in some ways we we the technology team had it a, kind of easy and uh, it was hard but mm -hmm. everyone was out on zoom when you think about it there was this equality because everyone had the same size box on their mm -hmm. zoom call right everyone was there <laughs> everyone had it was this okay great and i'm hearing now a couple of big companies they're like well how do we maintain that equality from a digital perspective when there's now 10 people in the room and maybe 10 people in the little box and they want that same experience of equality and and to merge that digital world now with the physical world it's actually quite challenging and i've heard some crazy solutions of well we'll get everyone to sit in the room and everyone will sit on their own camera and it's like oh, yeah but then the mic doesn't work and the, like there's all these weird things coming up because people actually like this. I'll call this digital equality that, that came about. So yeah, it's quite fascinating. Democratizing distribution and access down to a little box, whether you're the founder or you're an intern, it didn't matter. Yeah. Uh, the physical space allocation, not pending your title and right. your salary. That, that's a pretty, that's a great, that's a great observation. I hadn't thought about the uniformity in terms of the connectivity experience mm -hmm. Uh, in the last 14 months. Is this an opportunity for startups? I know that you look at, when you were, uh, you know, as a CIO, you always had a mix of best of breed startups and enterprise, yeah. you know, leading companies that made up your technology stack. Um, um, so it was really, your selection was based on meritocracy and of course security and scalability and all the other requirements that a Verizon or a box would need. But do you sense if you're, you know, as, as an investor, do, is this an opportunity for companies to come up with new solutions 
to help address this digital twin of the physical workspace so that in a hybrid setting, you could still maintain some level of uh, harmony in terms of how people connect? Yeah, I think it is, but it's it's there once again to be lost by the incumbents. Um, Zoom has obviously taken off and sure. they, it's theirs to lose in a way. Um, Teams is there because of their entrenchment in the enterprise and Google is there for the, the enterprise customers they have. And, you know, I think these companies need to work with the startups, work with the innovation, um, because it's going to be hard to dislodge. Um, though, and I think it will switch between those three. Mm. Um, you know, WebEx is there as well, but it's, it's yeah, it's old. And, uh, <laughs> we're, on, we're on our sixth platform in five years. Well, <laughs> no, that's the thing. It's, it's interoperability now becomes IT's problem again. We've yeah. come full yeah. circle from having the old Cisco's and the Polycom's and the Tambergs, and we're all we had this massive backend infrastructure that integrated all that servers upon servers. It was ridiculous. We're right back there now, and and the work I'm doing is is like how you can't just pick one, mm. <laughs> and you need to be talking across them. So yeah, there's another massive opportunity. So it's you from bring your own device to bring your that. own application. Like, you know, if somebody wants to launch, uh, you know, an, an app that's not supported, they'll just do that as long as they have internet access, I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, you're definitely saying that. And there's there's massive, I mean, there, there's a massive shift in, in terms of conversation points uh, in, in the last three weeks as well. Back to your point, um, from the JP Morgan side all the way down to, you know, the Salesforce side, different views as to who goes back into the office. Um, right. You know, so tech companies versus financial services versus engineering, design, and creative. So we're seeing a difference really by industry, which is really what's changing. I was just um, at a large uh, software company's headquarters um, that was built out in the middle of the pandemic, all ready to go. And they basically just said, you know, we're going to have we're going to show up to the office. Uh, we're all showing up to the office Thursday. And, you know, if you come, you come. Uh, they have 115 people in that office. 107 showed up yesterday. Right? Oh, wow. They all went in because they've been dying to get oh. into the office. Yeah. But then again, you, I'm in Texas. Right. And it might be very different if you're sitting in Seattle or San Francisco or New York. And so we're seeing the regional things, you know, come into play. But it's definitely making it very, very, very difficult uh, for uniform type of policy. Uh, yeah. But Ben, you know, you know, when we go back to, you know, you know what this bigger digital orientation is, this also means we're getting different types of skill sets that are popping up. We're going to see people require different ways of communications and, you know, anything from, you know, collaboration and storytelling and tools what has to be fixed right um, you know on, at the cultural level uh, as well as the technology level yeah um, it, it really is hard to to replace I think we're seeing this this culture that the water cooler conversation and um, I think you both said a lot about it as well when it comes to events and it's there's there's things that technology just can't replace and I think it's okay for people to need to actually get used to that that's okay right it's it's like some things technology just cannot replicate um and you know let's let's use the tools how best we can and what they're designed for uh it's it's a real big challenge and you i saw back in the yahoo days when um you know marissa brought back everyone to offices all this massive work behind because she wanted uh, speed of execution and when you put product teams engineering teams together working in an old traditional way they work faster yeah. um, I've been talking these last few weeks to a few startups 
who are literally starting remote and they have no intention uh, to be in an office. And when you start that way, it's a lot easier than trying to retrofit the people into the technology. So it's all over the place. Sorry, Vala. I, I was going to say, like, I was I was talking to a number of CEOs and, and, and one comment was interesting. Someone said, look, something that had taken us six weeks on Zoom took six hours uh, in right. the office. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but then the other CEO I was talking to was like, yeah, but there's so much more we couldn't have done if it was in the office. And I think we're starting to figure out, you know, where, where these things start, where these things are fitting. Sorry, Vala, go ahead. So. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of CIOs on the show and, and, and CEOs, and I guess uniformly, they've all talked about an accelerated adoption of technology over the last year and a half. Yes. Um, some said that their 2025 IT roadmap was executed last year and conti will continue to be executed against this year. So they pulled in several years, a lot of it around payments and e-commerce and 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 um uh, and 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 advancements in marketing like cdp is there's 100 companies doing cdp now because precision in marketing has become critically important uh, especially across multiple um, digital channels you advise company ceos cios are you seeing uh, a multi-year acceleration and if you were a ceo of a company tomorrow what would be your preference in terms of work in the office work remote or hybrid what would you um, what would yeah. you want to put into play? So I'm definitely seeing the um, acceleration of spend and this renewed importance around technology. Um, just simple things like desktops to laptops. You know, we, we yeah. you don't think about that, but um, I know at the Lincoln Center when we we had three weeks and um, New York was shutting down and. I came in to help and I'm like, all right, so everyone takes their laptops and like, well, most of our people don't have laptops. <laughs> um, and so I, and it was just, that's how they worked. And so we went and helped them get some laptops. Um, and then it was like, well, our processes are paper. So people talk about, you know, the digital um, transformation. A lot of companies just need digital optimization. And, mm -hmm. and the, the basic process is a lot of people take for granted. You know, there's, there's still a lot of paper. So mm -hmm. that has been exponential. Um, I think today, if I was um, fortunate enough to be in a, a leadership position, hybrid is the way uh, mm -hmm. of the future. And also choice. I think this, is, uh, this has opened up a lot of choice because there's a lot less arguments now and you'll still have them and uh, you know managers demanding their people uh, to be in the office and i think it's it's also an opportunity to really look at our leaders and if you're managing by bus in seats in 2021 you, you're not a leader like that those days are long long gone and hopefully there's a catalyst there that we can be judging through execution um and you know getting shit done yeah. um that's that's how we need to be leading and so I, I would say you know every company really needs to be shining the torch on their leaders and how they're um you know helping their people execute and giving people choice i know there's people i remember back when i had you know two kids under five come monday morning i 
love my kids, but bye. I've got to go to the office. <laughs> I've got to get some work done because you know you need to you need that break. And I think there's there's a lot of people like that um, that want that space. Um, so yeah, hybrid's the way. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And in IT, I think it's especially true because you've got folks that are responsible for maintaining infrastructure, help desk. Uh, strong partnerships with line of business, bringing products and services. And so, you know, their customer or internal customers that may be in the office and it'll be, you know, so the workflow may, may be different than if you're doing, for example, application development where you could perhaps do that at your home and be even more productive because uh, right. more hours developing versus being in a commute or, or otherwise. Right. So, so it but makes you, sense. But you could change it up a bit now. And, and the startups have been talking to is, is like, okay, instead of us, in investing in massive office spaces yeah. let's bring everyone and it's you know smaller companies but bring people together every three months and you know they're your design sessions it's, it's not a talk fest for leaders giving all you know the usual stuff that company retreats happen it's like <laughs> let's bring the engineers the product designers let's put them all and they have a month or a week of just solid iteration boom 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 yeah. they go home and then they execute and and there's, there's there could be a real power to that um and you get all the camaraderie and I, I, it's the bigger my biggest concern as um, i'm looking for different opportunities and how do you start a job when you don't know anyone and you haven't built up yeah. those relationships yeah. especially as an executive because it's all relationships and i it's yeah. hard to do that remote oh yeah Totally. No, it's it's definitely totally. it's definitely all relationships. And one of the interesting yeah. things is how do young people who are starting yeah. out in their career build those relationships? Like there's no conferences to go to. There's no people to shadow, right? You yeah. can't have those one-on-one -on -one kind of conversations in the back for for mentoring if you don't actually yeah. bring people in, right? And and so, you know, we've been virtual for a long time. So some of the things that we we look at is, you know, we try to build in the check-ins. We try to get people together like three or four times a year. We try to get right. people out there. And that's that's part of that growing process because otherwise you're never going to build that network but hey my, my final question to you ben is is really about you know when we think about that new role the cio going into 2022 what are the top priorities people should be talking about because the summer's traditionally been when all the boardrooms you know the board folks get together they do the strategic planning for the year then everybody jumps in in september to figure out the budgets and all that kind of stuff you've been through that so many times what's yeah. hot this year what should be people be thinking about if you're a cio right now what should you be doing so right now, the, the, the sad reality is you, you need to check in with your people because there's uh, people are tired, I think, and everyone's worn down for multiple reasons. So you really need to be checking in with your team and understand where everyone's at. Um, broken record, security. Uh, What's that know, again? Security? Yeah. Anyone know about security? What is security? Is it the Willie Sutton rule? What's going on? It's important <laughs> and urgent. Um, but you know you need to really, really be thinking about that, um, and then dealing, getting closer to the executives and, and understanding. Uh, I, I think there's this, this huge, huge opportunity for IT and uh, the HR people leaders to come together and and really look at you know okay, what's the next? I won't say five years because who knows next two years of, of, of culture that we want to build and foster in the company. How do we want to operate? How the tools that we have had to use, we've been forced to use over the last 12 months. How do they apply to the next two years and, and really look at productivity um, and you know how you can help your organizations. 
I love that you're leading with culture and talent. Yeah, that's, it's that's it's refreshing to hear a CIO not lead with technology. I think most successful CIOs I know, it's 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 culture, people, process, lastly technology, and that's that's that. I mean, Vol, he just humanized it. I mean, he, he just humanized he it. I mean, he it's did. awesome. So. You have to. The tech is easy. I mean, it's annoying <laughs> as hell. But at the end, of, people don't understand. Technology only does what we tell it to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, people. Yeah. Yeah, that's a different story. <laughs> you spend your time. <laughs> The darn people. We're here with Ben Haynes, CIO advisor at Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts, BT150 winner extraordinaire, and of course, world-class CIO. You can follow him on Twitter at bhaines Zero. And of course, we'll catch up with you in the green room if you're around. Uh, but hey, thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Thank guys. you, Great to chat. You're terrific. Thank you. Okay, bye. That's wow. It. Uh, he's one of the smartest CIOs that I know. Uh, at a small digital native company, at a large company that went through massive M&A, Every step of the way, he was able to deliver incredible results. Uh, so award-winning CIO, highly recommend you follow him. Speaking of incredible leaders, uh, our next guest, Sabrina Horn, is an award-winning CEO, author, tech communication expert, and advisor board member. Sabrina's career is highlighted by her 25 year as a founder and CEO of Horn Strategy, the iconic US tech communication agency she founded in Silicon Valley at age 29. Horn Strategy has advised thousands of tech C-level executives uh, and their companies through their business and marketing challenges. Serena serves as an advisor and board member for a number of organizations, as a frequent speaker at industry forums and leadership conferences. Sabrina's new book that I believe comes out in three days and 15 hours or something like that <laughs> is called Make It, Don't Fake It, Leading with Authenticity for Real Business Success. The book aims to help executives make the right decisions as they start and grow their businesses for long-term success. So important, long-term thinking. You can follow Sabrina on Twitter at S-A-B-R-I-N-A, -A, Sabrina, H-O-R-N, Horn, Sabrina Horn. Welcome, Sabrina, to Disrupt TV. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for having me, guys. It's great to be here. Great to see you. We are so excited to have you yeah. here. Uh, I've been a fan since the 90s, uh, you know, especially of the firm of what you've been doing in terms of how you created opportunities for people in PR and in tech, one of the hottest fields when it first started out. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm excited to see this book. I've had a chance to read it and uh, really, really appreciate that. Uh, so, but let's talk about this, right? I mean, the Valley is, has been a place where you make it <laughs> or you fake it, right? And that's kind of the bad advice that we get all the time here in the Valley. So let's start with that and really talk about you know why is running a business with integrity and authenticity hard like who would have thought that yeah i mean so here's the thing like if you're operating your business with integrity then by definition you're kind of like grounded in the truth right and <laughs> and you're and you're dealing with reality and what what do we know about the truth and reality I, it's, it, it can be very harsh the truth can hurt and um, so if you're an executive or an entrepreneur and you're under pressure, you want to succeed or you need to make your number, right? It's, it's easier to take those shortcuts and like, you know, exaggerate what you're saying on your deck or overpromise to a, to a customer. I mean, um, bottom line, it, it's easier to cheat and take those shortcuts and, and shove the problems under the rug than it is to face reality and do the hard work and uh, you know, take all those steps to to build a long-term sustainable business. 
Yeah, in the, in the world of PR, you would have never have seen this, of course, right? <laughs> that never happens. That never happens. Yeah, well, that that is maybe a, a little bit of an unusual perch, right, for me yes. to, to be speaking from, right? But I mean, the the truth of the matter is, right? I mean, I saw I saw a tremendous amount of excellent leadership, and and I saw a lot of yes. fakers out there too. And the best PR uh, is is always grounded in the truth, right? I mean that that's the 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 secret maybe that everybody needs to know is that PR the best PR is not about spin. It's always about peeling back the onion, Correct. getting to reality, and then finding a path forward and communicating that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, my company at Salesforce trust is our number one core value. We have four core values, and the number one is is trust. Um, why should honesty be the foundation of every business? Uh, how did you, you know, uh, come to a realization that, and that perhaps the worst advice you can get is faking it? Um, as someone who's a power social media, you honestly, within like two thumb scrolls, I get a sense of a person's tone, sentiment, character, and if I don't, if I if I don't trust the person, the the content the quality i'm just not going to connect um so it's 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 like it, it's not part of my routine in terms of assessing trustworthiness as a number one criteria in terms of making a connection yeah i mean so like first of all to answer your question like honesty if if honesty is not the foundation of your business then what what should it be i mean like nothing yeah. is sustainable if it's not grounded in some form of the truth just like you can't, you know, marriages don't last if they're not based on the, some form of the truth, <laughs> right? Uh, and and so, right, you 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 start to hear this meme, right? And originally, fake it till you make it was just an innocent little tongue-in-cheek quip, uh, and and it was it's actually grounded in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy where people would act as if. Sure. Um, they want to emulate certain behaviors. They want to, you know, exude um, for self-help or visualize difficult situations or even dress for yeah. success. But the but the problem is when you cross the line, and you do and say things that are at the expense of others for yeah. personal yeah. gain. And so so you know, minimizing reality, right? Selective truth telling is the mm. most dangerous of all. And then of course, you know off the deep end, uh, total outright deception and, and fraud. Um, but mo most people are uh, on the other side of that and you know they fake it here and there and then they fake it some more and then they realize that they're actually Im imposters and they develop imposter syndrome. Right, right. I, 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 I like the Amy Cuddy's TED talk of the power pose. Yes. You know, just, you know, it wasn't faking it to make it, it was more, put your mindset in a positive frame and, yeah. and, and demonstrated all the athletes that had power poses before their, uh, you know, Olympic gold performance. But, but you're right. Once you go beyond just mm -hmm. positive frame of mind to pretending to a point where you're, you know, stretching the truth and, and over exaggerating or, or uh, over promising under delivering, then you really can get into trouble and you can lose trust for sure. Yeah. You know, and, and the heart of the book is this awesome graphic. Uh, I'll put it up here if folks <laughs> see it, right? Wow. I mean, this is where you cross the line, right? Personal yeah. impre 
Depression Lies, I think that's what it was, and Tall Tales Winging It. Let's talk about those two, because once you cross that, you're about to enter the danger zone. And what yeah. is that danger zone? So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, as a little white lie, like, you know, if your date, you know, made you dinner or whatever, and it and it sucked, it wasn't very good. <laughs> you know, and they say, did you like the dinner? And you say, oh, honey, it was good. Yeah, you okay. know, like, that's okay, right? But um, if, if you're starting to, you know, to lie, right, or you're exaggerating what uh, your technology can do to a potential uh, investor, right, because you need to get the money, like that, that's not, that's not good. The most common form of faking it is actually lying on your resume uh, and in a job interview. And right, so the problem with all of that, um, is that you're ultimately, you can be exposed. So you may achieve a little bit of success in the short term, but ultimately the, the truth comes out and you can ruin your reputation. If you're a CEO, I mean, we've, we've seen some shining examples of that, of exposure. Uh, and you, you can ruin your reputation and your brand, lose your customers, everything. When you are about to advise a CEO of let's say a successful company uh, um, and you realize quickly that they are on the they're in the danger zone. Um, yeah. They tend to really accentuate the positive, hide the negative. And how do you how do you gracefully, or maybe it's not graceful, maybe it's just uh, <laughs> transparent, uh, uh, radical transparency. How do you pull them back, especially if they're a CEO of a successful company where they believe whether they have a blind spot or not, that the way they operate is how they got to where they got to. Yeah. Well, I mean, that I call that the founder's curse, but we, we can talk about that separately uh, where you've got your blinders on to, to reality. But I mean, yeah, two situations, right? Like uh, first, you know, if, if it's a respectable company and they really have a great value proposition and a market opportunity, I, I, I'm going to try and peel back the onion and say, no, I'm really like, so does it really do this? And, and who else is doing this? And how do you differentiate yourself from these guys? And who was using your product and why did they pick it? And what keeps you up at night? And why do you lose? And if I don't, if I'm not getting straight answers, I'm just gonna say, bye-bye. See yeah, ya. your reputation because it's involved. right like especially in in public relations right like our reputation is also uh established with people like you ray like you know we have to tell you what is the honest scoop too because you look to us for that information uh and so if if i feel like we're not getting it from a software ceo then i can't take that forward terrific yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense here, and 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 we see that all across the board, right? A lot of organizations in the past have, you know, they get to a certain point, and there isn't a product. You get to a certain point, uh, there yeah. there isn't the sales or the numbers. You get to a certain point, right? And 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 it stalls. Uh, what mm -hmm. should people do at that point, right? When you know this rosy story, mm -hmm. talking about hyper growth, you know, we're growing at eighty percent, now we're growing at sixty percent, now we're growing at thirty percent. Oh my God, we're losing money. Like, how do you manage that transition? How do you guide people through that? Um, to, to be authentic in a world where everyone is just expecting, you know, the, the numbers, they fall a certain direction and the stories mm -hmm. to continue in a happy way. Like when do you get that dose of reality and, and when is that publicly acceptable? Yeah. I mean, so right, right now, I think, un unfortunately, 
being authentic is kind of refreshing. Mm. Uh, and uh, and it's a good marketing strategy. <laughs> so <laughs> the truth is back. The truth yeah, is a new marketing strategy. Back, is what you're baby. saying? Yeah, I mean the truth it is. is back. It, it's a good marketing strategy, and uh, you know, uh, you could just it's it's so wonderful and refreshing to hear a CEO who's humble enough to say, "Hey guys, you know, we didn't deliver on you know the product in in the time frame that we had hoped to." Uh, we got it this far, but we didn't go the last 10%. Uh, we're going to regroup in the meantime, we're working with our customers to take care of them and, uh, you know, work on some other things. This is our strategy and we'll be back to you in X number of months to, to tell you how we're doing. And that is honest, right? And that wow. is that that is better. And like that as a customer, right? I'm going to be like, okay that sucks for me, but, but I appreciate that he was candid. Right. And I, and I know yeah, what I yeah. can expect from him. And I mean, that should be, that's leadership to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're in birth the, of leadership. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the advice, make it, don't fake it to me is applicable to any, any, any person in business, any person in leadership position in business, regardless of size of business or industry. Mm -hmm. But my question, and this may, I hope this doesn't sound like a silly question, but does your advice differ at all when you're guiding women in position of leadership versus men in position of leadership, knowing the barriers that exist for women in business uh, in terms of, there's so many. Uh, does, your, does, your, does your advice change at all as you're guiding, mm -hmm. as you're guiding different two personas. And so how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, next week with Sabrina. All right, well, so the answer is yes, it does differ. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. I mean, uh, I mean, I can say a few points here, right? Yeah, like um, thousands of years of gender bias mm -hmm. doesn't erase uh, what women deal with, even though things are better, things are much better, but uh, it still exists. And I certainly dealt with it uh, in my career. And I would say a few things. Use the channels that are available to you to report bad behavior. Uh, make yourself known to the people who do behave poorly, about who report to those people, like the, the ecosystem of people uh, around that person, because that can be excellent leverage when you need it. And, you know, and then take matters into your own hands. There's a, a few really hot cups of coffee I dumped in a, a, a few executives last. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yes. Where do we get the secrets to that in the next podcast? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and then and then lastly, like, look, you know, you can't change a tiger's stripes or what is it saying? Teach an old dog new tricks, right? You can't change the way somebody behaves. Just take your ball. Go take it somewhere else. There's plenty of other. Uh, companies out there who would be lucky to have you. So, yeah. you, you know, don't keep beating your head against the wall. Great no problem. Got a comment from our buddy, Charlie Isaacs. Is that Joe Montana on the yes. back of your wall here? <laughs> My buddy, Joe Montana. 
wow. Yeah, good yeah. eyes. Good eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is perfect. Oh, Charlie's going to love that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, hey, well, hey, let me let me get back to you on this on this point that Vala, the question that Vala was asking, right? So, do is that bias still there as well? Like, do women CEOs treat other women CEOs worse than male CEOs, or is it just all over the place? Depends on the industry. Um, do you see that happening at the same time as well? So, I mean, what like female CEOs treating each other poorly? Like, treating each other poorly is that you know i mean is there i mean are we gonna get back to a point where like people just stop doing all this and people are actually more authentic across the board yeah. regardless of gender so well i mean yeah i do think that things are better and i do think that women in positions of leadership know that they have a unique opportunity mm -hmm. to set the record straight and to do things differently and lead by example yeah. yes and lead by example um that said you know uh, there are also plenty of, of women who, you know, don't, uh, who don't behave that way. And I mean, we, we once had a client during the recession of 2008 and money was so tight. Uh, she was a new female CEO of a really hot data integration company, uh, good size retainer. And she was abusive to the, to the team of the, the guy oh. and, and the, the men who worked on her team. And on the way to the airport one day, I called her and I fired her. And I told her that nobody gets to treat my people that way. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, even, though, even though the money was tight, you know? So, um, uh, so it still happens, but it's the exception to the rule. No, no, good for you. And, and why are many CEOs like just lonely? Right. I mean, you, you talk about this. <laughs> CEOs and leaders are lonely yeah. at the top. I mean, yeah. is there no one to talk to? Is it just yeah, things well, just can't be said? I mean, you, you go deep into this in the book, and I think it's really important for people to see this. So Yeah. So I mean, so CEO loneliness is a thing. It's a mm. real thing. And it Ball, can I'm lonely. It yeah, <laughs> and it can whoop you pretty good. Um, you know, the, and here's why it happens. First of all, by definition, you're a CEO, there's only one of you. And so there's nobody down the hall appear for you to talk to. Number two, you're making, you know, all these tough decisions, right? And some of them are pretty unpopular decisions, like especially if you have to lay your people off. Mm -hmm. uh, and your employees, they don't want to go out with you after work for drinks because you're the boss. So all of that can start to be kind of isolating. And then you layer on top of that, like this the constant barrage of problems that you're solving and the challenges that you deal with can cause anxiety. All of that, right, can can lead you to this feeling of, of loneliness and even depression. Um, so how do you deal with that? First of all, you know that it's a thing and it can happen. And we know that human connection is the number one uh, recipe, you know, for mental wellness it's so essential so leaders have to find other peer groups um you know third-party organizations or organizations like in your own industry of ceos that you can talk to one of the best experiences i ever had was um joining a group through vistage uh and i got the most comfort out of that because i, I was sitting there next to a the CEO of a toy maker, a furniture uh, company, and an oil company. And even though our businesses were completely different, we all on some level were solving the same problems. Um, so, so that was huge. The next thing is you've got to build a safety net of mentors. And this mm -hmm. is not the people on your board or advisory board, right? This is your personal 
group of advisors and mentors who will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear, mm -hmm. and they'll keep you from from faking it. Um, and and then lastly, I would say like acts of gratitude, um, teaching and mentoring others is so fulfilling and and can kind of break the isolation iceberg. Yeah, I think in a way no, you people answered, haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah, I think in a way Go you ahead, answered my, my final question, which was, you know, when I think of authenticity, I think about when your thoughts, your words, and your actions are aligned, you're, you're demonstrating authenticity. How, how, how do you become and stay an authentic brand? When a CMO is asking you to help their company reveal the goodness of their culture and the fact that there is authenticity within their organization. What are some steps that you, you, you provide in terms of guidance of getting there and staying there? Right. Well, I mean, again, like uh, we could do a whole other podcast series on that, right? But in, in summary, um, you know, I truly believe that the core values of a company must be established early in a company's life because they infuse the culture that you have um, and how you treat each other, what you celebrate, what you tolerate, you know, behaviors you don't tolerate, and then how they manifest themselves in your business processes, right? Like it, it holds the whole company together and it radiates out to your brand. Um, so you, you wanna protect that, right? By, by preserving the heritage of, of your company and those core values. and. That's not to say, right, they, they're always there, but they may shift as your company grows or expands or contracts. Certain uh, aspects of values may move up and down the priority list or take mm -hmm. on new meaning, right? But they still tie to the core value proposition and the promise of your brand. And then sort of the other big point is, right, the key to the success of any brand in the long term is, a con is consistency for the customer. And right, and if you break that once, I'm like, huh? Uh, they usually deliver a really good blah blah blah. And then if you do it a second time, uh, oh, maybe I'll try this other guy, right? And and so that's when you start to lose the authenticity of the brand because you don't trust it. Um, so I mean, there's so much more to discuss there, but uh, I would say those are the two core tenets. Great, great advice. Absolutely. Core values. Amazing. Absolutely. We are here with Sabrina Horn, <laughs> author of Make It, Don't Fake It, Leading yeah. with Authenticity for Real Business Success. <laughs> One of the top PR pioneers in the field, especially in tech PR. Definitely take her word for it. Check out the book uh, mm -hmm. where all books are sold. Follow her on Twitter yes. at Sabrina Horn. Follow her on LinkedIn uh, in terms of LinkedIn follows and her newsletter as well. Check that out uh, because that's where all the action and all the insights are coming from. So <laughs> thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank yeah, you so thank much. You. Thank you, thank guys. You, Sabrina. Thank Great. you. Thank you. Terrific, terrific uh, advice uh, in terms uh, of. She's the best. She's the best in this industry. Yeah. She's trained more PR professionals in the tech field. I mean, people have come from her. Like, there's just an alumni network of ex Horn Group people all across the world that, that have awesome. gone through her training, her team's training, and seen tech PR in a whole different landscape, just as that industry was being pioneered in the 90s and 2000s. So, yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, Okay, so this is this may be a first where one of us <laughs> is the guest for the last 20 minute segment. But uh, as many of you know, uh, Ray's new book is available for pre order and official launch next month. He's on a countrywide tour of his book. And I had the privilege of looking at the book as, a, as it was being developed and, you know, would send Ray question after question, expand on this. I love this. 
help me understand this more. There was a lot of questions, help me understand this more, because obviously he's a futurist and visionary. And, and in 2015, Ray made two incredible, incredible decisions. One was to uh, uh, partner with me <laughs> to launch Disrupt TV. The other was his uh, other bestseller, Disrupting Digital Business. So this was 2015. We're now in 2021 and we're talking about everybody wants to rule the world. So my first question to you, and this is surviving and thriving in a world of digital giants. It took you six years to write your second book. Right in the first page of the book, in fact, the preface, you say, this is a result of tens of thousands of conversations since this book. Um, and the fact that for several years, Constellation has been celebrating 150 digital disruptors, titans, doing amazing new business model innovation, new monetization, new products, new services, essentially change agents and trailblazers. And 10,000 conversations after this book led to this. But the title, Duopolis, how did you, how did you come up with this? What was that process? So I was watching the end of Real Genius and the song pops up. No, <laughs> no, no. Um, that's not what happened. Um, so, so here's the thing, right? We celebrate 150 uh, BT 150. These are the business transformation 150, right? These are the top leaders as you were talking about, Vala. And we're having conversations with them. And, and they're saying, yeah, we tried this digital transformation initiative. We did this thing in digital. And you know, for a lot of them, it was getting the digital channel in. It was, it was building a digital business model. And yet they're still losing. Right? They're still yeah. losing to these new competitors out of nowhere. And we're yeah. trying to figure out like what happened? Why did this occur? And more importantly, what can they do about it? And and we started to realize that these companies are different. They act differently. You know, a, a great example, Domino's Pizza. You you always see me use them all the time. You know, awesome stock from 2010 to 2019, $3 to $300. One of the big digital winners in in, yeah. in, in, in all, of all time for digital transformation. You know, you, you can order pizza anywhere. You can order from Alexa. You can actually, you know, have status of the pizza. You know, it's in the oven. It's 10 minutes from your house. It's five minutes away. And take a picture of the pizza. Send it to the AI bot. And guess what happens? They'll tell you the quality of the pizza, right? Yeah, yeah. By all means, this is digital transformation. They are the winner. However, here's the problem. How often do you order pizza, let alone Domino's pizza? Maybe once a month? Like, I don't know, Val. Do you, do you order a lot of Domino's pizza? No, I don't. No, I order pizza. <laughs> do you... I have ordered from Domino, but it's not consistent. I mean, I could have 10 different pizza orders before I go back to uh, uh, another. And I don't have a favorite. But do you order, with. but do you order like food delivery services, DoorDash, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. Uber all Eats? The time. Do you all like, like once a week, twice a week, all the time? Five times well, a week. Well, that's the exact, that's the exact <laughs> problem. A couple things are happening, right? These companies, the food delivery apps, basically partnered with small restaurants mm -hmm. who gave their customers to the food delivery apps. And so they lost on the first account they disintermediate the customer account control. So suddenly these food app companies have all their customers. And in addition to that, they now have all the data on preferences and payment options. So they know like while in your neighborhood, maybe they like Italian food more than like, you know, I, I don't know, maybe more than Chinese food. Over in another place, they might like Thai food more than Indian food. And suddenly they're using that data to compete. So they're competing for data supremacy, right? And then after that, they can start monetizing in different ways. And then they've built these really big networks and then they can go lose hundreds of millions of dollars, which Domino's can't do over time, right? Yeah. And so the question is like, what does a company like Domino's do in this instance, I mean, they really have to figure out what is the core business. Maybe they just do delivered by Domino's and help out small restaurants around the world, right? right? right. Instead, right? But, but we don't know, but that's what they're competing against. And that's why they're in massive danger, even though they're the poster child for digital transformation.
Yeah, yeah. You write uh, at the beginning of the book to your audience, to your readers, that you want to help them achieve four outcomes. First, understand the power of data-driven digital networks, which I think you just touched upon, and how they have driven the most successful companies of our time. The second is learn how extreme consolidation is changing the global business landscape and what it means for businesses of all types and sizes in terms of understanding where they fit. The third is gain insight into what innovative companies are doing right now to position themselves in the new reality. And then the last takeaway for your reader is take your business from status quo to market leader. Now, you touched about data when you talked about the Domino story. Can you expand on this data-driven digital network? Because in the book, you talk about what processes are candidates for automation, how to apply machine learning, deep learning, natural language processing, and various derivatives of AI into your business, all aimed at really improving decision velocity so that companies can create value at the speed of need and the speed of need of a stakeholder, employee, customer, partner, communities that they serve, but it all comes down to data maturity and, and how they improve and create a data-driven digital network. And network is important. It's not just shared data inside the walls of your company. It's shared no. data within an ecosystem and perhaps even ecosystem of ecosystems. Talk about that a little bit. No, you're completely right. The DDDNs are what you're going to hear about for the next six to 12 months about dominant platforms and dominant platform companies like the ones like Amazon or what you see in Apple or what you see in Google. Those are going to be on stage most of the time in terms of you know being in the antitrust conversations. And a DDDN, this data-driven digital network, that platform does a couple things. What it's doing is it's a network. You're trying to go after the largest group of people, largest number of users, largest number of devices. And what you want to do is as you start connecting them, they're creating what we call digital feedback loops. In the digital world, what's interesting is every decision you make is a demand signal. Now, why is that? You have context. You know the location. You know the time. You know the weather. You know people's intonations and their sentiment of how they're feeling. You even know who they were with or standing next to in some cases, and you know what part of the journey they're in. And that allows you to understand the customer more. And the more interactions of high-quality signals, the better off you are in terms of being able to put people and their context of what they're doing or what they're about to do next together. And so that automation of that collection of information and insight, that's what's giving people that advantage and that's creating what we call competitive moat or what we call the business graph right companies are competing to build the most accurate most precise business graphs that are out there and it is a battle and a race for decision velocity you and i we make a decision per second it might take us six eight even 12 weeks to get it out of management committee and when that happens that's too slow Machines are making decisions 100 times per second, even 1,000 times per second, and that's what we're competing on is decision velocity. Sure, sure. NASDAQ, 80% of trades are all automated. It's, it's, that's the autonomous enterprise. That's the future. Okay, throughout the book, again, it wouldn't be a Ray Wong book without bold predictions, and you put yourself out there. It's In, in fact, if anyone who's ever watched your keynotes, you come up with dozens of bold predictions. That's why I always say in the intro, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter, because I've followed your career for the last 10 years and your batting average is unbelievable. This is why I think you're constantly on TV because you, you're also in the business of forecasting stock prices. And I've, I've heard news anchors say you're the most accurate expert we have, technologist, when it comes to pricing uh, stock uh, forecast. But in the book, you talk about 100 companies across 50 industries will dominate. 
Now, of course, you've had tens of thousands of conversations. The BT150 covers dozens of industries, dozens. Uh, so this is this comes from vetting the best and brightest across dozens of industries. And you also estimate, this was kind of bold, that 90% of the current Fortune 500, by the way, my company is in a current Fortune 500, will be merged, acquired, or go bankrupt by 2050. Nine out of 10, bye-bye. These are the biggest companies in the world. Fortune 500, biggest revenue companies in the world. First of all, first question, are all these 100 companies that dominate across 50 sectors, are they all DDDN companies? And second, tell us more about the logic behind making these bold predictions. Because if I'm a CEO of these Fortune 500 and you're telling me 450 of us are going to disappear <laughs> in the next couple of decades, uh, I really want to know the rationale behind the logic. All right. So barring any significant antitrust action that's going to happen, um, we actually see these DDDNs dominating. And every one of those digital giants is a DDDN, right? Mm -hmm. From a Roblox, which is dominating the metaverse, which we talked about with yeah. Kathy Hackle, right? To a Tesla, which is dominating on autonomous transportation. But it's really not about that. It's last mile logistics. It's the ability to actually do transmission. Exactly. Right. And it's, you know, companies like Amazon, which are in almost every business and every industry. Um, that's the tr that's this that's the challenge, right? That's going on. Now, the reason I know this is not because I'm an expert futurist. It's because we have a really good network of people that are doing amazing things that BT 150, our clients, they do this digital, they do digital transformation better than anyone else. They're sitting in the conversations of new business models. We have other folks that we work with in the VC and the PE world that are actually funding these new types of companies. So we see these patterns coming, even though it might not be explicit. And that's why we think that 90% of that Fortune 500 will be gone by 2050. Now, let me give you an example of something like that. Um, and hopefully this doesn't get me in trouble. <laughs> so, look, if I wanted to dominate the TV business overnight between LG and Samsung, I could take LG and Samsung out in five years or less. And here's how I'd do it. So, Vala, I'm going to give you an offer. $15 for a 74 inch, 72, I think it's what they're, 70, actually 75 inch screen TV for the next five years, that's $900, smart TV fully enabled. If it breaks within the next 24 to 40 hours, we'll have someone fix it or give you a brand new screen. And of course, you gotta connect it to the internet. We're gonna collect some data from you. But would you take that deal at $15 a all month? All day, all day. All day, all night. But I'm going to sweeten the deal. I'm going to sweeten the deal. How about this? $25 a month. I'm going to upsell you the ability to make one upgrade during that five-year period. All day. all day. So if you took that deal, what would happen to the marketplace? I would lock LG and Samsung out of that market for the next five years. So if 30% of the market took that deal, they're not going to really buy another TV. They'll probably buy another one from me, right? And suddenly, I'm going to source it out to someone that's not LG or Samsung, or someday they might actually be supplying their TVs through me as well. Now, how do I do that? I'm going to do that by having better break-fix information than they do. I'm going to understand which suppliers lied to me on components. I'm going to know which features are being used, not being used. And more importantly, I'm going to take and maybe I'll buy Assurian, for example, one of those companies that are in the back end that warranty your cell phones, mm -hmm. warranty your electronics, right? And I'm going to have that information and Underwriters Lab's data on safety, and I'll have better data than the insurance companies, and I'll actually turf out my reinsurance to General Re and Swiss Re with better data than them. I've gone from manufacturer to insurer and underwriter overnight to financial play 
And in five years, LG and Samsung would have less than 20 to 30% of the market share. They have 90% today between those two, right? You know, depending on some markets, they even have like 95%. But I could wipe them out in five years or less because I'll go to Masa. I'll go to Masa and say, SoftBank, dude, give me $100 billion. I got a pitch for you. Here's how we're going to take out and transform that industry. And you know what? I'm not done. I'm going to do your kitchens. I'm going to do your HVAC as well. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of emails after this show. My guess is you're going to get, <laughs> better get off. lots of text and <laughs> we better take, We better take all the pictures off on our website of our employees. Probably no, DMs. <laughs> probably DMs. Wow, that, that, was, that was a great distillation of the power of digital duopolies and how to monetize. Okay, so, all right. So when I look at this book, uh, only, you know, only a few chapters, but then you get into it. You know, you get into it. I mean, you talk about age of duopolies, decision velocity, long-term mindset, how to, why the importance of partnering. And then you get into it and you realize this is a business strategy playbook, which covers new business models, monetization models, how to accelerate decision velocity, how to design thinking based on long-term mindset, the role and, and ethical use of emerging technologies. And you have a great chapter on AI as an example, how to scale through joint ventures and ecosystems. So there's a lot of stuff buried inside these chapters. What's the one thing, like if you could guide a CEO that's thinking about competing in the new norm, did they just chronologically read this or is there a favorite chapter? Like what's the takeaway you want? Because to me, this is a very in-depth playbook. Um, and so there's lots of lessons and, and they're covering a large space. What's the one area that you think is critically important for people to walk away from? Yeah, you know what? It's a little bit more than that. And I actually have to start by telling folks this. Look, the book was written in three uh, three areas that are important. The first one is the fact that if you want to understand how new startups are created, understand how digital giants are being built. If you're competing against a digital giant, what you have to do is add two things. Understand the life cycle of organizations, where you are in your company's that or, you know, journey, and in terms of how you fix and turn it around to jumpstart growth, and then how you build joint venture startups to be up on the digital giants to keep it a fair fight and then the last piece was written for regulators in dc regulators around the world who want to figure out how to keep up with the great consumer innovations and all the advancements and lower prices and values that these digital giants have delivered but also make sure that those markets are free they're fair they don't squash out innovation costs don't go up in the future and have the right set of policies so that we actually have you know the right balance uh between regulation and innovation and and that's how it's set up that's that. Thank you for framing it, because I think that's really important for the readers. As someone who likes to flip through the book, I found myself, wow, this is, topic is amazing. Wow, this is great. And I needed a roadmap in terms of how you dissected the framework for the book. Okay, you've been on a, you've been on a book tour. You spent this week in Houston, Frisco, Cedar Park this week. Next week, uh, you're at Bedminster, New Jersey. You're in Burlington, Massachusetts, New York City, New York, and Reston, Virginia next week. And then after that, you've got a dozen more cities. So you've been on a 20 plus city tour. First, tell us about what are the readers, people that have pre-ordered your book and have read the book, what are they telling you about the book? Are you, are, are you thinking about you know, blogs to follow up the book based on the conversation you have with your readers? And just give us a sense of what's the conversation like as you go from city to city to city talking to folks that have read your book and now want to bring this book into their organization so that the company leaders can learn more about how to compete against digital giants. Well, here's the beauty of it. If you buy the book, pre-order it before July 13th, 
the publisher will get you the first three chapters right now, today, right? And so folks have actually read the first three chapters. And the first thing they're like, what's chapter four? <laughs> so that's the first thing they're asking, like, how do I get to chapter four? Right? So, so, we'll, so we end up in conversations talking about what do you build? How does it work, right? You know, if you were to do this again, like how would you restructure the book, right? So I'll answer that question because that's the most important one that people keep asking. The first thing is like that life cycle of organizations, how you re remake a company, that's important if you're an existing company. You're going to want to think about that. The second thing is this intermediate customer account control. That is an important part about learning that. Mm -hmm. You do see the chapter on data supremacy. People do see that. Uh, but it's also building the largest set of networks you have out there, taking a long-term mindset, and also creating joint venture partnerships. And the joint venture partnerships is the one where we get the most discussions of what you can do to create like everybody versus a big tech giant, right? Or, hey, let's go dominate a supply chain, a value chain, right? And how do we actually be the winners in that space? Or how do we collapse different value chains? Comms, media, entertainment, tech, it's the same industry. And people are starting to realize that. As you see Amazon spend, what, $7 billion for MGM. You see AT&T and Verizon say, we've had it. We can't spend this much on content. And you're seeing that occur, right? And, and, and that's an important piece of, of learning what's going on. But but the other thing across the tour, what, what is interesting is investors are re-looking. I, I spoke at the Money Show in Orlando, and yeah, that was so cool because investors wanted to know, like, you know, how do I choose the winners in big tech? Like, not all big tech stocks are the same. And, and this is why, because if you're doing those five things that digital giants do well, those are the stocks that we think are going to be the winners in the space. If you're a CIO or you're CEO and you're on the board and you're trying to convince customers, your, your, your team and your executives about how to do digital transformation to improve the lives for your customers and partners and suppliers, you're going to look at it very differently. You're going to try to figure out how do I partner? Like which folks that I thought were my competitors are really my partners and how do we come together to change that world? And then of course, back to my other point in the framing, if you're a regulator, you've got to figure out like, does that really make sense? Do we want to be not competitive with China? Do we not want to be not competitive on the global stage and have that scale, right? But when is that trigger point? When is that trigger point when the digital giants have gone too far and that we actually have to put the right levels of regulation before something bad happens? And at what point do digital giants go through this life cycle and come back down where all their innovations suddenly become critical infrastructure that's commoditized, that's a public good for other people to build on top of? That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, uh, this was episode 240. In the spirit of uh, everybody wants to rule the world, we're going to follow up next week with two CEOs. They're going to talk to us. And one, I would argue, Aaron Levy, CEO of Box, has demonstrated how to compete against giants and win. So our first guest next week is going to be Aaron Levy and then Jody Glidden, CEO of IntraHive. And we're debating, Ray and I, whether we're going to limit to two guests, two CEOs, to talk about this trend of, again, competing against digital giants and winning. Or do we want to bring a third guest? Because again, Aaron and Jody have a lot to say and they've had great success doing what they do. That's going to be next week. Ray, your closing thoughts on uh, this week's show. And congratulations on the book, my friend. Sure to be bestseller. It's my highest recommendation uh, for 2021. I think every business leader, line of business leader, certainly CEO, should have this book on their desk because it truly is a playbook on how to compete in a, for the next five to 10 years in um, in this hyper-connected digital economy that we're in. So congratulations and see you in Boston or specifically Burlington next week. I look forward to breaking bread with you. Closing thoughts. Hey, no, same here. No, hey, we've. 
I'm so excited for next week's guest, you know, Aaron Levy, definitely, you know, the, the, one of the leaders in the uh, SAS movement. And of course, you know, uh, all stand up guy. It's awesome to have him on the show. And then of course, intro hive just got a hundred million dollars in funding. So we're catching them. Uh, it's the best time to reach out to their CEO. So it's going to be very exciting, but Hey, thank you to all the folks that are on the book tour um, that are there. You can definitely looking forward to breaking bed, seeing some old friends. And of course, more importantly, catching up and sharing ideas because you know, that's what life's about getting together with friends, sharing ideas, sharing a good meal, and of course, having great conversations. <laughs> thanks a lot, Vala. Hey, thanks a lot, everyone. Have a great Friday. If it's Friday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, it's Disrupt TV. Follow us every Friday. We're, you know, every Friday uh, online and in all different places where podcasts are, and more importantly, uh, on the web. We'll see you on Twitter. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone. Cheers.